I'm looking at the body of Jesus Christ this morning, and you all are becoming beautiful in this sight as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and being transformed and conformed into his image. This morning, we're continuing our study from the book of 1 Corinthians entitled Bodybuilding Series, and we're going to get to some incredible insight and important kind of uh, knowledge that we really need to put into practice. I want to set up the text for you um, this morning uh, by, by talking about a couple things that just recently occurred to me um, or recently happened to me. <clears throat> recently, Vicki, who's my wife and myself, bought a little camper. Um, we love to hike. It's like one of my love languages. I just love to hike. And so we thought, well, this will facilitate us getting out and, and hiking and being together and doing some of those kinds of things. So we buy this little guy camper from Omaha, um, Nebraska, and drive the, I drove it home here about a month ago. But there's a rub to this purchase. This puppy came with manuals about this thick. I hate that kind of thing. How about you? And so I went into what I call Steve Norby mode. Uh, that's called skimming and skipping through those manuals. And I thought, maybe I could just get through these things super quick. And the other day, I actually clipped out all the parts that were in foreign languages. So the manuals wouldn't look so thick. Just got rid of those, clipped them, threw them in the garbage. I don't read French. I'm not going to read Spanish, whatever. So it made the manuals not look so overwhelming. But still, I was skimming and skipping. And then I began to realize, I probably need to read these manuals so I know how to operate this thing. You wouldn't think a camper would be that complicated, right? But at any rate, I was so discouraged because I don't like to read manuals. On Black Friday, before the Christmas season, I bought a new garage door opener for our garage. It's a whisperer. It's quiet. It's belt-driven. The one we have I affectionately call our earthquake model. Every time that garage door opens, you can hear it anywhere in the house. It's wah, 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 wah. So uh, if you're sleeping like at 2 o'clock in the morning and your son comes home, you wake up through the garage door going So I bought this Whisperer model. It also came with a lot of instructions. I hate instructions. So I thought, I'm just going to skim and skip. Well, there were like two possibilities of assembling things totally backwards on this thing. Guess what I did both times? Exactly backwards. And I thought, ah, 50-50 chance. Why does every time there's a 50-50 chance, I do it backwards? Well, I could have just read the manual, right? And did it right the first time. And I begin to realize, even as I'm going through this little project, I should just read the manual. Then I'd only have to do this one time. I wouldn't have to do a redo. What we're going to read this morning can seem familiar to some of us, can seem obvious to some of us, and our tendencies may be to skim and skip. And I want to just encourage you this morning, don't do that. Because redoing a piece of the garage door opener is easy. But when we do things that are out of kilter with God's word, when we begin to live our lives a little off-center, doing things backwards, that redo is harder. It's always easier to hear God's word 
and to put it into practice and do it right the first time, then to go back, have to undo some things, and then come back and redo them. And so this morning, as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I would encourage you to hear what this is saying and be honest with yourself. It's not the hearing of it. It's the doing of it. Are you really doing this? Does this really describe who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ? Because these are incredibly important instructions we're going to read today, and it's doing God's life his way that, that is so utterly important. So listen to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 17. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Here's our big thought today. Here's our big thought. What you build your life on and how you continue to build it is critically important. What you build your life on and how you continue to build it is critically important. The temptation for us is to look at the scripture. It's familiar scripture, especially if you've been around Christianity for a while, and you skim and skip. Thinking, well, I got this down. I don't really, really need to read this that closely or listen to it that closely. But listen, you do not have this down. You do not have this down until this is how you're doing your life. Amen? You do not have this down until this characterizes how you indeed are living out your faith. This insight that I shared with you this morning from 1 Corinthians 3 is meant for you to live life differently. It's meant for you to take it to heart and do your life entirely differently. Years ago, when I was still engineering, I had a project to design an adhesive manufacturing area at the plant that I was a resident engineer at. And the product that we were going to pump was like corn syrup when it's cold, super thick, and then throw sawdust in it. And that's the slurry solution that we were going to try to pump. Well, I looked at that, and I realized as an engineer that this stuff would be extraordinarily hard to pump, so we designed it with six-inch pipes. Now, every elbow in a pipe equates to about 30 to 60 foot of pipe length in terms of friction. So I thought, I have to get rid of all these elbows, or we're not going to be able to pump this thing. So I did something that was unconventional at the time. I piped direct from pump to source. Or, or, or to the place where it's going to be pumped into the, into, the, into the line. So I went diagonally across rooms all over the place. Well, that was unconventional. So a bunch of pipe fitters looked at my drawings, and I was gone the week when they began the installation. And I'm sure they thought these thoughts. Dumb engineer. 
what is he doing? And they proceeded to pipe it like they had piped a thousand projects before around the walls of the rooms. And I got back and it looked so pretty. All these beautifully laid out pipes and stacks and they had a thousand elbows in them. And I thought, we aren't even going to be able to push the adhesive through that line now because there's so much resistance. So you know what we had to do? A redo. I said, you're going to have to tear it all out. It sure looks pretty, but it's not per my specifications. And the pump won't pump it through that line, and it has to go diagonally. Now, here's the thing. Here's my point. I knew some things they did not know, right? I knew that we had to eliminate elbows. I had a lot of insight they did not have at that moment. When we read this scripture that we read this morning, we have to get to this place where we acknowledge, God, you have a lot of insight I don't have. You know a lot of things I don't know. And it's clear in my life that at the core of my being, at the center of who I am as a person, it has to be the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we've been using this analogy all through this series of the body. And I'm going to continue using that analogy here this morning. Um, The core of your physical person is extraordinarily important. If you're a workout person, eventually you're going to get to working out your core. It's just not that fun. I notice when I go to the the gym that a, a lot of the guys especially, they love to work on their biceps. They want these big honking arms, right? And I know they do stomach work, and the guys who are real committed do all that kind of work also, but, but they're lifting all kinds of heavy weights. But your core, when it comes to being physically fit, is incredibly important. It's just not that sexy to work on it. And, and so, so you'll see a lot of this pumping and grunting, and, you know, but, but if you're going to be a strong person, you're going to have a core that's extraordinarily strong. Spiritually speaking, same thing. Spiritually speaking, your core has to be really strong. And Paul's talking about core today in this message to us. You have to have this strong center in your spiritual being that just radically, unwaveringly committed to the person of Jesus Christ. It just has to be deep inside who you are, and it has to be what your whole life is built on. Anybody ever watch CrossFit games in here? Does anybody watch that? You raise your hand. I want to see if this is going to apply to anybody. Okay, first hour, I got like five hands. I thought, wow. I love watching CrossFit games. You see all these crazy built people doing these phenomenal athletic feats. And they do these games to determine the the fittest man or woman in the world. And I always love to watch these huge, bulky men walk on their hands for like 100 yards. How many can walk on your hands? Anybody walk on their hands? I mean, these are big athletic people. Some of you can, you got a, you got a CrossFit jersey. Yes! <laughs> I love it. This is great. Uh, anyway, one particular CrossFit athlete stands out to me whenever I think of those games. It's Rich uh, Froning. He is phenomenal. He won the, the championship uh, four years in a row, 2011 through 2014. And he is a phenomenally built human being. He's a specimen. But one thing I notice about him, you look at him, he's got huge arms, he's got huge legs, but his midsection is unbelievably strong. And that's why I think he was able to win it so, so frequently. He was just a 
beast of a man. But here's what impressed me more about him than his physical uh, prowess, is, is, is his spiritual side. He's got this tattoo. We're not going to get into whether tattoos are right or wrong this morning, okay? So it's not going to go all there with you. But he's got this big old tattoo. It's a reference to Galatians 6.14. And when I saw that, I said, oh, this guy's not only strong physically, he's strong spiritually. You know what uh, uh, Galatians 6.14 says? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And my respect for him went up immediately when I saw that reference on the side of his body. Of course, these guys, they're so physical fit, they never wear shirts, you know what I mean? At um, any rate, you, you do what, that, what you want to do with that. So he's extraordinarily strong physically, but I think at the core of his being, it's a spiritual strength also. Listen, beloved, stamped at the center of our being, who we are has to be Jesus Christ. Amen? And we have to be convictional. And it has to be more than words. It, ha- it has to have this, this directional motivation uh, for everything that we do. What you build your life on matters tremendously. It's so critically important. If you assemble your life backwards, if you send it a little out of kilter, you're going to have to go back and have a redo. And it's going to be more work than just doing it right uh, to begin with. Of course, it's critical to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked on that several times. That needs to be at the center of who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. But I'm not going to talk on him this morning because we've already talked on him um, so many times throughout this series. What I want to do is talk with you using this scripture that we read this morning on how to develop a strong spiritual core and what your part in that is, okay? First of all, we're going to talk about the what. We're going to talk about that what? And then we're going to secondly talk about the how. So let's begin with the what. We need to establish basic biblical convictions centered on Jesus Christ. We need to establish those things in our life. They need to be non-optional and things that we never violate. This means that you become convinced that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what our tolerance-oriented culture says, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He alone is the pathway to God. There is no other pathway to God, period. This is not what most people think in our culture right now. This isn't even popular to say it out loud hardly anymore. We Christians, we true Christ followers, we're going to continually be marginalized in our culture. It's happening like crazy. And we have to begin to realize we are not the majority anymore. We once were the majority. We are not the majority right now. In fact, the word I would use to describe us uh, more accurately is we're a remnant. When Israel was uh, in captivity uh, to the Babylonians, all that remained of God's people was a remnant at that point when it got all said and done. They were no longer the big boy on the block. Listen, as Christ followers, we're no longer the big boy on the block. We just have to realize that. There's still huge growth in in the church, but it's happening more in South America and Eastern Asia. But culturally speaking, especially in our country, we Christians aren't the big boy on the block anymore. We have to begin to think differently and operate differently. If you talk to most people who are associated with Christianity, they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power of it. They won't even be a true, hardcore Christian follower. I've been reading several books over the last three years on on Christian that talked about what's happening in our culture. Then I read The Rise of the Nuns, which basically say most people now who used to loosely affiliate with Christianity will say, no, I'm none now, because the, the stigma of that 
association's no longer there. It doesn't matter if you're a nun anymore. It's kind of in style. And then now I've been reading this new book called Meet Generation Z, and it's not about zombie nation. All right? It's going to clarify. I'm not reading about the zombies. This is about this new young generation that's now coming up. They have even less knowledge of what it means to be a Christ follower. They don't have any reference points. They just don't get it at all. And this means that it's more important than ever that you and I who are committed Christians know what we are, amen, and what are the basics in Jesus Christ. Listen, we have about 36,000 people in Brookings, uh, South Dakota here. If you throw the college in there, uh, I read a 2014 Gallup survey that said that South Dakotans claim that 31% of them go to church on a given Sunday. That's incredibly high. Most states are low 20s and upper teens, say they go to church on a given Sunday. Some in the Bible Belt, four or five states, actually get almost close to 40%. But if you look at Brookings and you use this outrageously high number, which I think it is, and you say, how many people are in church on a given Sunday? That's like 11,000 people. That means two-thirds, 25,000, are not in a church on Sunday. Did you hear that? 25,000 people in Brookings, South Dakota, on a given Sunday are not in church. And that, I think, is conservative. I think it's more than that. That means most of the people in our community do not go to church on Sunday. Did you just hear that? Even using what I consider to be a very high number of who attends church. Um, In 2010, a survey was done, and I think this is where some of the misconceptions come into play. In 2010, a survey was done of people's religious status in our community. 60%, that's where we start getting these high numbers go to church. 60% said they had an affiliation with a denomination. I don't know what that means. Maybe they go to church once a year, whatever. But of the 60%, here's the breakdown. 29% said they were associated with the Lutheran church in our area. Makes sense, right? We've kind of got that history here of, of, of Lutheranism. 22% said they were of Catholic affiliation. said Methodist. Guess where we rated on this thing? 10%. I was surprised because there's only one of us in town, right? And we had a rating of 10% uh, of the community said they were affiliated with the Wesleyan Church. Now, get this. Since 2010, I just wanted some fun facts. You like fun facts? Since 2010, we've more than doubled in size. Um, On a given Sunday, even on this Sunday, if you look around, first hour was kind of full. I think everybody wants to enjoy the good weather out there. Next hour, it might be me and the, and the praise team. Who knows how that'll work out. We'll, we'll still be okay. God's still good. Amen. I love to go through the worship one more time. At any rate, um, but if you look at us being a church of 1,700, which is what we average, uh, 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 it's, it says for the evangelical community on a given Sunday, it's normal for about 41% of the people who call that their church home to be in church on a Sunday. All right? And I actually did a study for a few years of this at New Hope. I found this to be the case when I was there. So that means if you just extrapolate out and do some math, we now are a church of about 4,000 to 4,200, okay, to comprise, to make up the database to have an attendance of 1,700 to 1,800 on a given Sunday. That means now using those old numbers that we're now 20% of the, you know, affiliated Christian community in Brookings, South Dakota. That's interesting, isn't it? We have a lot of influence. That's what I'm trying to say to you. And we have a culture that doesn't know much about Christianity. 
It really doesn't. The what matters tremendously here, if nothing else from a standpoint of reaching out into a community far gone from God. Amen? It's so important that we, as the people of God, don't falter now. Amen? Don't back down now. Now is the time for God's people to rise up and say, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm not ashamed of that, and I know my basic Bible convictions. I understand that the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and him alone, and I know that the Bible is inerrant and the accurate word of God, and they have some of these basics down, and they're, they're convictional in your life. And that's the only reason I'm sharing all these statistics with you, is to tell you and help you to see the importance of the what part of, of the core of being in Jesus Christ. Um, you're going to be called peculiar more and more. Because the Bible says we're going to be called that anyway, right? Strange, whatever word you want to use, alien. These are labelings that are going to happen to us as Christ followers. I mean, Jesus went back to his hometown and they thought he was out of his mind when he begins to tell that geographic location that I am the way to God. And they thought, you're out of your mind. And I think people are going to think sometimes that about us. We're out of our minds. Stick fast to Jesus Christ. The building of the what in your life is absolutely fundamental to spiritual health for you as a person. And it's harder work than we acknowledge sometimes to have this what thing down because you have to root out false ideas. They're constantly bombarding you. You know, a while back they did a survey of Christians and I was alarmed to see how many thought reincarnation is okay. What? Thank you. <laughs> a little what? Echo back at me. We as Christians, you live once, then the judgment. Amen? We should know that. Reincarnation is New Age or Hindu or whatever, but it is not Christian. We have to stand fast against such falseness. We have to stand fast at times against the attacks of friends and family also. And we have to be willing to Take some harassment and take some ridicule because the what is so important and so foundational. Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Church, relates in this book of how foundation work of a building is basically not very glamorous. It's just tough work. He talked about his decision to build a cabin in Yosemite Park. It took him weeks, he said, to pull out the pine trees. Just weeks of just rooting this stuff up and getting it out of the way. Then he had to dig out the dirt, put in the gravel, compact it all in, and pour the slab. Ten weeks later, he said, after back-breaking work, I looked at a slab in the middle of the woods, and I felt very discouraged. But then his dad came alongside him, and his dad had built 110 churches at that point, and said to him, now it's going to go fast because you got the foundation established. We're going to have to do hard work as a Christ follower. God's going to ask you and I to uproot pine trees and take out things in our lives that aren't right. And we're going to have to be ruthless with ourselves and honest with ourselves and say, where is this idea coming from? Is it biblical? Should I be adopting it? We're going to need to become smarter people because we live in a culture far from God that's going to propose all kinds of things that sound good on the surface, but if you do it, you're assembling your life backwards. And you're going to have to have a redo if you listen to it. And you're going to have to be willing to just be very biblical 
and stand steadfast in that regard. And it's going to feel hard. And after all the work is said and done, you're going to look at your life and say, I don't see that much. But it's foundational. And it's changing you more than you can see at the moment. So what matters tremendously? Let's turn to the how for a few moments. Let's turn to the how. How do we exercise our faith so that we build into our lives gold, silver, and precious gems? Well, here it is. Embrace God's strength plan for your life. I'm still on this kind of body thing, okay? Embrace, embrace God's strength plan for your life. Paul clearly states in 1 Corinthians 3 that he laid the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. Now the question becomes, how will you build on this sure foundation? Will you build using materials like gold and silver and precious gems? Or will it be wood, hay, or straw? The latter will be burned up, Paul said, at the end of the age. That's what the day means, at the end of the age, at the return of Jesus Christ. I'll talk on that more here in a few moments because a lot of people want to know what that all means. But let me continue on with our kind of physical workout analogy. Anymore, it seems in sports, there's always a strength coach associated with any sport. And the reason being for that is that it is known now for that athlete to compete at peak performance. They need to be as strong and physical fit as possible so that they can engage in the sport uh, to the fullest uh, uh, degree of their ability. Listen, for you and I as Christ followers, it's not good enough to just have some basics down, so to speak, which we should. We need to understand that God has called us to fully engage with our culture, amen? And we need to be spiritually fit. We need to be working out. We need to be strengthening our walk in Jesus Christ. We need to be adding to our walk in Jesus Christ, building that is of gold, silver, and precious gems. And here's a simple rule of thumb I use to kind of accomplish this strength in my own life, I call this a spiritual workout. I go through this all the time. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Just that is always on my mind. Whatever I'm doing in life, whether it's working or whether it's marriage or whether it's how I'm raising my children, how I'm doing my schoolwork, whatever I'm engaged in, that thought comes to my mind. Seek first his kingdom. Now, Jesus was teaching this principle to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, and he's talking on the topic of worry. And he says, listen, those who don't know God, they chase after all kinds of things. They worry about what they'll eat. They worry about what they'll drink. They worry about what they'll wear. These things they run after. But he looks at his disciples and says, this isn't to be the case with you. Their lives are about these kinds of things, and worry is the driving factor in them. It's, it's fear that's motivating them. You're not to be that way. He said, instead, what you're going to do is this. And then he gives them Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we need to become people who are seeking God's kingdom first. Now let me tell you how this workout plan begins to manifest itself in my life and the way I would read scripture. See, sometimes we don't change until God hits us with what? The two by four, amen? We go through a trial that gets a hold of our attention enough to we begin to change. We need to become workout people. 
The athlete doesn't wait till the game uh, to say, now I'm going to amp up my ability and compete here at a high level. The athlete says, I am working out to prepare myself for the moment of engagement. And we need to become followers who are preparing ourselves for the moment of engagement that God's going to bring our way. So I'm reading the Bible and I read about John the Baptist. And his disciples were deserting him and they were going over to the camp of Jesus Christ, which they should have been doing. And the people said to John, basically, doesn't this bother you? And John answers back and says, I must decrease, he must increase. So here's how this workout plan would work for me. I read that and I go, oh, I must decrease, he must increase. I begin to pray that way. I begin to ask the Holy Spirit, do this kind of transformation in my life. Then when I look at challenges or opportunities or trials in my life, I say, okay, God, here's an opportunity for you to increase and for me to decrease. Or let's go to another scripture, for example, where it says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. I read that and go, oh, okay, I need to exercise that way in my life. I need to guard my heart. So I pray, God, help me to be one who guards my heart. Help me to keep out uh, bitterness and resentment and all those things that will destroy my heart. I realize that I control my heart through the infilling person of the Holy Spirit and all that kind of thing. And I pray the Holy Spirit guard my heart. And then guess what will come my way? Temptations. Temptations will come for me to set the affections of my heart on something other than God. And then I have to what? Put it into practice, what I've been praying. There's an opportunity for me to truly guard my heart. We need to become one who spiritually exercise. And here's the perspective overall. Build your life on the holy, not the common. That's what Paul's saying here. Build your life on the holy, not the common. That's why he uses the reference of silver and gold and precious gems. Those are things that will endure forever. Those are things that have uh, eternity weighted into them. Hay and straw and wood, on the other hand, are the common things. Things that are going to perish at the end of time. Um, it's a mistake, for instance, to set your affections on the things of this world. We know that the things of this world are passing away. So if you're living life focused on career and material possessions and recreation, and that's what you're living for, and, and, and yet you say you're a Christ follower at the end of time, at the day when Christ reappears here, he's going to say all that stuff is wood, hay, and straw. You wasted my gifts to you, basically, is what he's going to say. So the what and the how matter tremendously, correct? You got this down of doing our Christianity. Now let me talk to you about why this matters. Why does any of this matter at all? The day will bring all to light. And the fire will test whether it is common or holy. And accordingly, each will receive his or her reward. Now the term day here is a reference to the end of time when the Lord Jesus returns. The judgment being referenced here is the judgment of believers. It's not a judgment of heaven or hell. It's a judgment of rewards. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not going to come under God's judgment in that regard anymore. We are told when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we move from the citizenship of this world to the citizenship of heaven. You're already gone into that status of heaven. Philippians 3.20 verifies that. You're redeemed, you're a child of God, you no longer come under that judgment of the quick and the dead. All right? So the judgment being talked about here is for believers. It's a reward judgment. Um, 
There are a couple of judgments, by the way, in the Bible, several judgments, but one is the great white throne judgment found in Revelation. That's a reference to those who are being judged because they rejected Jesus Christ. This judgment that I'm talking about with you here that's found in 1 Corinthians 3 is the Bema Seat judgment, the judgment of believers. It's further clarified in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let me read that scripture to you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is, judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is being written to Christians, okay? This is being written to Christians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. So in 2 Corinthians here, Paul's saying to the believers, listen, you're all going to stand before Jesus Christ one day and to give account of what you've done with what he's given you, how you've lived your life. Judgment seat is, is from the Greek word bema, and it means a rostrum, an elevated place for speaking, a throne, a platform of rewards. And here's a picture being painted. Uh, the believer's judgment is like an award ceremony for an athlete. Um, I don't know if you watch the Olympics. I watch the Olympics, and oftentimes they're going to get their gold medal, the silver medal, or bronze, right? They walk up to where? The raised rostrum platform. And what do they receive? The reward. That's the picture being painted here. And if you're in Jesus Christ, you're all winners. Amen? You're all going to receive some kind of reward. The question becomes will you invest your life in things that are eternal? The things God has called you to invest in. Gold, silver, precious gems. Because if you spend your life on the common, the wood, the hay, and the straw, guess what? At the end of the time, those will be burned up. They're going to be shown to be worthless. And you're going to still be saved because your salvation is dependent on whom? Jesus Christ. Not on what you do. Amen, right? Basic conviction. Amen, right? Americans, you get this? We do not earn our salvation. Jesus has done that work for us. But there is a reward for you or I. I have no idea what that's going to look like. If we use what God has given us for eternity's sake. Here's another reason why the what and the how matter so much. It's our concluding statement today. In Jesus you are God's temple, and the Spirit lives in you. Now, the you is better said, you all. <laughs> in Jesus, you all are God's temple, because together we are God's temple. And the reason we need to build on what and how, like Paul says here, is because we are the temple of God in our culture. And you know what, in, the, in the Old Testament times, the temple was full of gold implements and silver implements and precious stones. And it was part of the way of, of, of representing that this place was dedicated to God and holy to God. You and I, as we live for eternity, storing up treasures in heaven that are gold and silver and, and gem in their constitution, then we're, in a sense, magnifying God and we're... we're, we're you know, looking like Jesus. And that's why this is so, so in, incredibly important. Let me read you something here because I think God wants us to become the church that really is, is focused on Jesus Christ. So let me, let me give you this, and I'm just going to read it from this book, Meet Generation Z. It says, To be truly countercultural begins with being truly Christ like. We cannot convey anything related to the church of Christ apart from reflecting Christ himself. As Gandhi once said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. 
We often marvel at the growth of the early church, the explosion of faith in Christ in such members and speed, or such numbers and speed that in only a blink of history, the Roman Empire officially turned from paganism to Christianity. We look for formulas and programs, services and processes. The simple truth is that the early Christians were very much like Jesus. So much so that the name Christian, meaning little Christ, came into existence. Yes, as Michael Green has noted, they shared the gospel like it was gossip over the backyard fence. As Tertullian noted, the odd pagan reaction to the Christian communal life was how these Christians seem to love each other. That's another reason why the what and the how matter so much. Amen? Because we're in this culture that's not unlike the early Christian church. And the more we look like Jesus, the more we're going to validify the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the what and the how matter tremendously. I'm going to share one more thing and then I need to quit. I love the way that we do membership now in the Western church. In years gone by, I couldn't say that. But now the membership is a, a kind of a three-tier process of understanding. Believe, belong, become. The believe is the what. What are we about? Do you have Jesus Christ at the core of your being? Do you, are you convictional about the basics of Christianity? Well, then you should belong here. And belong means you're coming alongside this community of believers and saying, I want to do life with all of you to be the church that God wants us to be. The become is the how. How will you build on your life? What does holy living look like? That's part of the process, but it can't be, the how can't come before the belong. You follow what I'm saying? Because part of the how is only going to be experienced together collectively. So even our, our membership kind of is reflective of today's message. Believe, belong, and become. If you've never taken a membership class, I'm plugging this baby hard today. Pastor Aaron does that every couple of months. It is worth your time. And he does a wonderful job of doing it. If you took it 25 years ago, you should take it again because it's changed for the better. I want to leave you with a challenge today. How is God calling you to strengthen your core? Do you have to work on some what? Are you working out your salvation with trembling and fear? Are you pulling out some pine trees that are in the way? Are you laying that foundation down? Is there, is there anything hit, hit, you know, inhibiting you in that? Work at it and go for it because culture demands that we are people who are established in Jesus Christ if we're going to have a valid message to it. Secondly, how are you strengthening your walk in Jesus Christ? Are you exercising? Do you look at life as an exercise routine? Are you letting God say, okay, you see this scripture you just read? I want you to put it in practice. I want you to exercise it. Grapple with those questions today. Let's pray, and then we're going to close with song this morning. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this teaching of Paul. It is basic and deep at the same time. It's easy to skim and skip over and think, oh, I got this. But then when we dive into it, we say, oh, maybe I don't got this. So I pray today that your people here at Grace Point would be one to understand the what. Understand what it means to have the foundation of Jesus Christ and have basic convictions built on that foundation. That we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, God. That we're becoming more and more convinced than ever that you're the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto you but uh, 
but through Christ, God. I, I just pray that's who we are. I pray that we're ones who are spiritually exercising, that we're understanding the how to build so that what we build is of the materials of gold, silver, and precious gems, that we're living for eternity's sake here, God. Would you create this in us? We love you so much, Jesus. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.